0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to another uh, True Tone Lounge Quarantine Edition, and today we have the wonderful Tim Lurch, who is a you know jazz guitarist, an educator, and uh, of course a telly guy, which of course I'm a, a, a hardcore uh, telly guy, so uh, uh, yeah, he uh, reached out to me a while ago, and I've been a, a fan of his playing for a long time, and so this is a, a, a real treat to, uh, to have Tim, and Tim's coming to us from Seattle, and... Uh, yeah. So how are, how are you doing today, Tim?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Um, the, you know, the quarantine is on, you know, and we've got some other kind of stuff going on up in our, you know, I, I live in Tacoma, which is a little south, okay. of about 35 minutes south of Seattle. But I, until uh, a couple of years ago, I lived in Seattle for many years. And uh, there's a couple of neighborhoods that are a little bit, uh, you know, Uh, stuff's going on uh, up here and so there's some stuff going on Uh, and of course we're all under quarantine and things were going pretty good for a hot minute and now they're backing down a little bit so uh, no gigs Uh, some gigs that we thought we might have uh, they asked us to play at jazz alley which is a club the the main jazz club here in town and um, we we thought we could do it and then we decided not to do it because It was going to be weird, and then they decided to cancel the the date, so the place is not opening. So a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Things have been rescheduled two or three times. Um, Personally, though, I'm doing okay. Um, I'm teaching online, uh, which is something I've been doing for 10 years or so now. Ever since I figured out that you could do it on Skype in about 2009, I've been doing it. Uh, it's gotten a lot better, <laughs> um, since the old days where you'd have to start the call four or five times and, you know, during a one hour lesson to get a good connection. But, um, I'm doing a lot of, of that and, uh, true fire has been firing on all cylinders. So I've got a new course that just came out on true fire. Yes. You know, jazz blues pathways, and that's doing well. And I've got a channel on true fire too, which is a a kind of a subscription style thing where i put up material there and deal with the um, the incoming questions and try and trying to create a community like you do in in your own way right uh, about this sort of brotherhood of small world of guitar geeks you know so i'm doing okay the the gigs i lost and the money i lost from them has been made up because these two true fire courses came out right at that moment and they're doing well so I'm I'm hoping that that is going to be enough to carry me over until uh the gigs start up again. But you know, like everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're been scrounging or you've been doing, you know, arenas, it, nobody's doing anything right now. So uh right. We're yeah. doing our
0: best. Yeah, I've even had friends that uh had uh, gigs booked in Florida this past weekend and they flew down there and then the gig got canceled and they had to fly oh, wow, back. Oh
1: that's too bad they didn't, <laughs> they didn't find out about it sooner. Yeah, I right. know what you
0: mean. Yeah, um, so, so yeah. you mentioned the uh, the Truefire courses and I, uh, I checked both of them out, you know, over the last couple of days and uh, i they're, they're both fantastic. So, yeah. Since you already mentioned, I thought we might as well go ahead and hit upon those. So, Why not? <laughs> so the, so the first one is uh is solo jazz pathways and that when you spend a lot of time, you know, kind of starting on a, you know, kind of more elementary level teaching two, five, one changes and, you know, starting out with different, you know, uh, chord voicings and inversions, and then you start bringing in a melody line and uh, I was I was very impressed with it. It was a, a great place to to start on uh, on that type of uh, of playing. And uh, okay. yeah, so that that's fantastic. And then also I, I watched uh, some of the jazz blues pathways, in which of course that is more geared toward you might show the comping part and then you show how to solo over those changes. And of course the true fire. Uh, uh, The way you you interact with it, the fact that you can slow things down, and the fact that that you have the uh, the video of you playing that can be slowed down, and you have both the notation and the tablature and the chord changes over top, Uh, it's it's quite an amazing uh, learning tool, and uh, yeah, it
1: really is, and and it also makes it easier to teach in a way because you don't have to be so granular. And say, well, now put your finger here. Now put your, you know, and you got all these different stumbly languages about. Well, do you call it the the D string or do you call it the fourth string or do you call it the, you know, and and a lot a lot of that stuff just gets, um, it kind of just clutters up the works. Right. So because the the learning tools on there the. The, the transcriptions right under the video, you can make the video full screen, you can slow things down um, in, a, in a fairly incremental way. You can just take 10% off or something just to bring it into your realm. You can loop it and um, you know you don't have to be quite as granular in the explanation, they, they know that. And so so in order to make it a little more entertaining for the student, um, they don't want people necessarily, and I never liked this anyway, say well you put your first finger on the fifth fret and then you all that kind of stuff you know um that doesn't really translate to a very enjoyable experience for most people so i'm really glad that i can teach the way i typically teach like when i'm teaching in person i very often say get your phone out and make a video of this and i'll just play it talk while i play or play then talk and i don't have to worry about being so Uh, specific you know uh, about where to put your fingers and it's also then for the student really good for their ear and their musical acumen to have to work a little bit of it out themselves and use their ear like we all did even without video (laughs) yes we had these little you know we had these little black discs that um we had to slow you know put our finger on or play a million times so you know i think it's okay too many tools can make it a little bit um, you know, not so helpful in some ways. Yeah. So using the tools just right, so you can create an experience where the person is learning, but they're also having to use their ear and their eyes and develop the skill that we all have to develop. You certainly developed as, you know, young guy learning how to play. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah, I, I I was very impressed with the, uh, the, yeah, the of course, the quality of the video is top notch. And just the, yeah. uh the uh, yeah the transcription and everything it was just w- such a great method and such a great way for uh, players that might ha- might not have grown up playing jazz by any means and that want to get into you know more complex voicings yet are still yeah. you know melodic it's not like you're playing you know out- outside jazz you're no, playing I, stuff yeah. that's uh, you know that's accessible to anybody.
1: Well, you know, the genesis of that first one, the solo guitar pathways, was a video that I made that lives on YouTube now. um, Somebody asked me, can you, because I'm known as a solo guitar player, not just a jazz guitar player, but I play unaccompanied guitar a lot. I I do other things, too, but especially on YouTube, you're at home and what are you going to do, you know, and I don't like backing tracks so much. So I just play solo. And, And so someone said, can you improvise as well? When you're playing solo and I said of course you can and I made a video about how I think about it or one of the ways I think about it and um, It got a lot of attention people liked it got a good response And then so when I was thinking of what could I do for my first true fire course? I thought well, why don't I expand on that idea? So the idea is really um, not so much about Learning a million voicings, but actually taking simple voicings that we all know and trying to put melody up above them as an improvisational idea. So let's say we've got, you know... that's an improvisation That's I'm thinking melody and I have because I'm putting my energy and attention to the melody. I want to have this sort of stock harmonic movement and bass movement that, that I can play that I don't have to think about too much. So I'm not inventing the entire thing. I can concentrate on the melody, you know? Right. So that's, that's kind of what that, that particular course is geared to. Now I tried to make inside of each section, I tried to make a basic thing and a little more advanced thing so that somebody um who's never heard of a 251 before isn't in the weeds right away and then somebody who has and is just looking for a way to expand their playing um then they have something to it it's really hard to find the target you know because right. it could be anybody you know that's the right. one the one thing about true fires they have just this big big you cast a very big net you know but then you don't know what's going to be in your net <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, but I, I think you've done a, a great job of of kind of starting at at more not completely elementary, but starting at more of a basic level, and then getting more and more complex as the uh, yeah, as the you. the different series goes along. So let's. Uh, so give us the, uh, you know, how'd, how'd you pick up the guitar and how'd
1: you get into a uh, solo, you know, solo guitar oh, playing? It's interesting. Thank you for that question. Uh, you know, like everybody, I was a little kid and I liked music. I think I played, I always sang. Um, and I think I started playing harmonica and I tried to play drums. I had a little buddy that played drums and we would get together and I would sing and he'd play drums and I wanted to play something. I started playing harmonica I remember learning the harmonica solo to "Love Me Do" or the in, that little intro, you know. Yes. Um, and uh, and then I, not too long after that, I I, I had a paper route, um, and I made a little bit of money, and I bought a guitar. Uh, so I probably started playing guitar, at, you know, twelve or something like that. Um, it oddly, my earliest memories are musical memories. Uh, like I, but you probably the same way. If you, you know, they they creep in, and um, like I don't remember, you know, when I was a tiny kid. I don't remember, you know, going to a baseball game or riding my bike. But I remember being up on the top bunk with a transistor radio, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in nineteen, you know, sixty-one or two, and listening to AM radio. And um, and for some reason, this is I don't know what this is, but my mom liked. Uh, listening to music as well she played piano in the evenings after dinner mostly just church songs you know and um, but she liked to listen to country radio I remember crack radio in Sacramento uh, which is where which is the town. I I grew up near Sacramento and crack radio was you know in 1961 or two or three you can imagine what was on the AM country station, you know? Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of the, the kind of country music that we still like, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that we wish that it was still like. Yes. <laughs> um, but I remember feeling like, and I, I didn't play guitar or anything, but I remember feeling like this is what I wanted to do. Hmm. And I have no idea. So when I got my guitar the very first time, I put my hand down and I went... <laughs> you know, I mean, who knows what that is, but yeah. um so uh anyway, that that was the, the sort of the preliminary stuff. Then I got a guitar and I started doing what we all do. You know, you learn a D chord and you, you know, learn a couple of other chords and you learn a little part of a song, and I'll, you know, you learn little bits and pieces. And um by the time I got to be, say, 15, I, I think or so. I could get around a little bit on the instrument and I sang and played and um, I didn't really like the kind of music that all my friends liked. Um, you know, they were at that time in, in junior high and high school, there were a few things, you know, anything with, it seemed like acoustic guitar was, was, you know, enticing to me. I really liked pop radio, top 40 radio. Oh, in in when, how old are you? I'm 47. Okay, so I'm a little older than you. So yeah, I was listening to pop radio. It, it was it was really eclectic. Yes, and you could hear you know um, uh, you know Good Time Charlie's got the blues, and you could hear you know uh, uh, a, probably not a James Brown song, but you could hear you know um, an R and B song, and you could hear a sappy thing you know by this band over there, and then yeah. you could hear a real dumb pop song and some hip stuff too.
0: Right. Uh, or you could hear the and, little little elephant walk or something like that. You could hear, yeah. yes, I do, I do remember kind of the tail end of that era when you had the stations that played a really wide variety of music. Even,
1: even, yeah. even if it was just a pop, AM pop station, pop music was wider. It wasn't so, you know, boxed like right. it is. Now. Um, and I, I could memorize the songs, you know, I could hear them and know what song it was by just the first couple of chords. So I had musical, you know, Inclinations, um, but I didn't really like you know Kiss and Led Zeppelin and Ted Nugent. And all. That that was the kind of stuff that by the time I was in junior high, my friends were into. And if you wanted to be in a band, likely that's the kind of band that it would be. Or right, whatever. I didn't I I didn't hate that stuff, but I just wasn't my thing. um And somehow, and I'm not sure exactly how, I got a record by Joe Tex because yeah. he had. There was a hit on the radio called "I Gotcha," yes. And I don't know if you remember that, but I got the forty-five of it. And then on the flip side, I wish I could figure out what this song was. You might know. On the flip side of the forty-five of "I Gotcha" was this really great R&B ballad with cool little, you know, all that stuff, (laughs) you know, all that Cornell Dupree, you know, kind of business. And I don't know who any of it was, but it that. And then I went, oh, that. Right, that has something. The, "I Got You" was a fun dance number, but that thing on the B, B side really captured my attention. Um, and so slowly, that you know, black music in general, R and B ballads, blues, jazz, kind of started to take up my interest. You know, yeah. Um, and I remember getting uh, a Lightning Hopkins record. You know, and I'm in, I'm a white kid in the suburbs. You know, I'm probably 13 or 14 years old, and I'm trying to play Light and Hopkins in the living room on the stereo. And my mom's kind of wondering, it makes her nervous a little bit, you know, not nervous because <laughs> of any other thing, but the sound of the music isn't what she was used to. Right. And uh, so, but I'm listening to that, and I, I ended up going to the record store and spending all my paper up money on. Literally any record with a black guy on the cover. I mean, it was really interesting to me how that worked. And I I stumbled into a lot of cool records. Like, I got an Art Tatum record with Tiny Grimes on guitar and and Stewart on bass. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, I mean, this is incredible. The most incredible thing. Um, Of course, I really got into the john mayall blues breakers record and with with eric clapton and subsequently the layla record was and was probably about as close as i got to pop music you know Mm in my life um but i i searched around i found like i liked old these old records like um you know uh uh mance liscom and 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 uh lightning hopkins and the sort of raggy sort of blind blake i could never play like him but i loved the music you know Mm -hmm. That is sort of, you know. That kind of business, right? And so I'm thinking, oh, you can play a whole thing. Right. You know? And I remember once earlier than that, I was playing, you know, my two chord over and over and over thing I was trying to learn. And my dad, who's not musical at all, it could... You know, couldn't keep a tune. Didn't have any interest. Never listened to music. He said, "Timmy, why don't you play a song I can recognize and play it all the way through?" <laughs> and it's like that's the best piece of musical advice anybody ever gave me. I mean, I didn't like it at the time because it sounded like a criticism. Yeah. But I, I realized, in order to try and fulfill that that uh, command from my from my father, it, it, it influenced another part of my musical development, which was to play songs that I could convey the parts, you know. And it made it really hard when I wanted to get into a teenage band because I was playing, I was trying to play all the stuff and they only wanted right. me to play the thing that was on the record, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, one thing led to another and I, I heard Charlie Parker and I, I heard big band music and I remember talking to my music teacher when I was a freshman in uh, high school and I was in the big band playing, you know, you know, and I think, and I ask him, I say, well, how, what do I have to do to learn how to go like the horn section? I want to play the song like the horn section. Yeah. And he goes, oh, it's not possible to do that. Yeah. Right. But but I I didn't think I believed him, and <laughs> so <Good>. you know <laughs> you know fifty years later here I am. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: That's, that's really interesting. The, uh, yeah, the, the whole, you know, solo, you know, guitar thing. Yeah. You, you hit upon it through, yeah, like lightning Hopkins and, and, you know, Chet and Merle Trapp, all, all that was supposed to be just solo guitar. And then I think at times, you know, Chet would simplify his playing and have strings in the background or a small rhythm section. But if you, you know, like Merle Travis records, uh, you know, they just have, you know, him playing guitar or it's him playing guitar and him singing. But uh, you know much of of his stuff. But yes, and and Lightning Hopkins. It's yeah, and, he, and, sometimes they would have a band with him. But a lot of times, I mean, those yeah. the way he played was so, it, because that was the way he was gigging was him singing and playing guitar. And that's yeah. it. Yeah,
1: you know, and and yeah, if they put a band on it, maybe like I know Chet, and I don't I don't blame him for this because you know we saw the results and the results were good. But he would take what was probably something he could play by himself. And then put an orchestra with him of some kind, a band orchestra, and then it was more palatable to a broader audience. And there were, you know, maybe even sometimes singers or whatever, you know. And I think that was what the industry wanted talented musicians to do: is to play, um, you know, uh, music that was palatable to a large uh, group. And and that's, you know, so you got to weed through some of that stuff. But there's always beautiful stuff in there, you know, yeah. in spite of whether it's covered with all kinds of, you know, production type things or whatever. There's right. always good stuff in there. Uh, and um, I love piano players and and, uh, uh, you know, any orchestras. So these, these, these days, my big influences are orchestras and piano players, not so much guitar players. Right.
0: So what? Well. What drew you to the Telecaster? Because again, there, there's there's kind of this uh, a this, brotherhood. <laughs> there's 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 the cult of the Telecaster, and then there's also the cult of the jazz Telecaster players, which is another really
1: interesting. It's, it's a you know, very sm- it's a smaller cult. <laughs> yeah, it's a smaller cult, but it's a
0: but it's a, you know because you you get the. Uh, you, know, you, you get the Ed Bickert and the Ted Greens, and, and then you get more modern, I guess somewhat more modern players like Bill Frizzell or a younger player like Julian Lodge. And you have all these. Uh, so yeah. you have,
1: you know. Well, one of the things that happens is you get a, I played an, e, an ES-175 for a long time. My first really good you know jazz box, well, my first really good jazz box was a, um, a Birdland. Oh yeah. And like a fool for I don't remember what my teenage brain was thinking I traded it for something else. And then I ended up eventually buying a 1952 ES175 with a single P90 for, yes. for 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 $400 from a lady in the neighborhood whose you know son didn't want it anymore, something like that. But then I proceeded to stuff it full eventually, you know, as I started playing more and more louder and Trying to use it in bigger situations and whatnot. I had to put, you know, underwear drawer full of stuff in there right. to keep it from feeding back. Um, and so eventually, you know, I was influenced by Ed Bickert and by Ted Green, strongly by Ted Green. And they both played tellies. Um I liked Roy Buchanan really a lot. Yeah. And, um, it just turned out that that as I started to discover who I liked and what I liked, they played telecasters. And eventually, I started playing a Telecaster to play in in R&B and, and cover bands and things because the 175 was not going to work. Right. Uh, and then I realized that I got comfortable with the Telecaster, and some of the things that I started to do on the Telecaster I couldn't really do on the on the 175 because if you played, you know, um, a chord um, that was like this. Oh, no, 175 you couldn't really get those bottom notes it would start to roar or whatever it might be right um, it turned out as my hand grew a little bit um my hands, as my hands grew i liked the scale length i like the fact that you could get this would do something then but when you threw it back there you could do a whole nother thing i mean it seemed like there was a lot more versatility in it but it wasn't for me a compromise in the the, the sound that I was looking for. So eventually, after a long struggle of thinking I was a jazz player, so I needed to play the 175 because Jim Hall was my hero, and I, you know. Right. Uh, but then I started to see Ed sounded great and Ted sounded great. And there's a guy named Sam Brown who made only a couple of records and then died uh, when he was younger. He was an early adopter of the Telecaster. Joe Beck played a Telecaster. A lot of the Fusion guys um, turns out that Howard Roberts and Barney Kessel and and a lot of the guys that were making records and you know even jazz records they use telecasters in the studio for various right. and sometimes for jazz as well um, so it just turned out that it, it it's a good guitar that works for what I want it to do I can make it very playable I can tune it down which I love to do I can't really tune an arch top down because they're so dedicated to how the tension is on it um, and, uh, you know, I, I I also played in R&B bands and country bands and all kinds of those kind of bands. You needed a guitar that would... And I played strats for years, too, or a strat for years. Yeah. So, you know, but when I finally got around to realizing I had to make a living, I needed a couple of solid body guitars, and so fenders were more comfortable to me than than the shorter scale things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, th- there seems to be a better note separation on them. That it seems like the on a on a Gibson with with the scale length and which and with the the, the fatter you know kind of smokier tone that they produce, that it's harder to hear the separation between the notes at times, uh,
1: especially on the bottom strings. Uh, yeah. I feel like this extra half an inch that we give ourselves, or a little bit more three quarters of an inch, um, gives us a harmonic palette on the low strings that's much more piano like. Uh, So, I I mean, for instance, I love this, this sound, you know, that sort of really low. And you can't, if I can't do that, I have a lot of arch tops, you know, and I love them. I like the longer scale ones better than the shorter scale ones. Yes. But they just won't, they won't do this sound, that church organ kind of thing, you know. So I just love doing it. and, And that's my thing on tellies. So what, one of the things
0: I've, I've been curious about, and uh, maybe maybe you can clue me in here, where did the neck shaking thing come from? You know, and and, uh, and so you, I, I I felt like maybe it was Bill Frizzell, but then someone reminded me that Ted Green was doing it. You know, perhaps uh, earlier. So I was just wondering, you know, where did you learn that from, Ted? Or
1: well, I I believe that Ted is my probably my biggest solo guitar influence because I studied with him and and loved the, that record that he made and you know I was a little more than a little bit obsessed with the sounds he would make and what I was prim- you know one of the big things about Ted that I love about him is not so much only just that he played lots of great chords but he always got a beautiful sound yes. and he really got a very rich beautiful sound and I've been kind of questing after that probably more I'm probably more influenced by Ted in that regard than I am by chord fingerings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I think everybody at some point—I mean, even uh, even um, Red Volkart does his version of it. Well, you know, guys will do it. You know, mm-hmm. you see, you see this sort of, you know, yes. you know. Yes. Uh, so, I think for me, where I got it, the notion of it was from Ted, but I do it a little differently than Ted, and I and. Um, I paid attention to what he did, but a lot of people thought he had like a like like a Parkinson's or something because he he was doing this with his hand out in space. Yes. And, and you can't really tell why he's doing it. Um, so what I do for this is I put the the guitar so that the lower horn is against my leg suddenly. and then instead of pulling it like this, which is too wide for me, I I just pump my forearm. Mm-hmm. Right. Just, and you're, then sometimes, oh, you what you're saying?
0: I was just gonna say you're pushing it against your leg. Yeah. Right. So
1: the le- it's firm yes. here, and then I'm I'm bending the body with my forearm. Okay. I, yeah. I got too I got too much going on over here to worry about pushing and pulling too much. Right. But sometimes though, um, the other part of it is I think it's the best. It's the best chorus sound ever. Well,
0: and, and you can turn it off and on very easily yeah. instead of it taking over your sound.
1: I mean, that's just beautiful. But it also does something else. It fixes another problem, which isn't as much of a problem now as it was for me a little while ago. Is it? It, it makes the guitar sound less out of tune. Yes, um, because it's 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 wobbly, and so. Uh, you can never really. I can never really get the guitar satisfactorily in tune. I, I fight with it all the time. The tuners don't help me. No. You know, even a really good one sort of don't. Because just a little a little um, uh, retrograde here. It turns out that the guitar players I liked when I was a kid were the ones that had a nice sound and played in tune to my ear. Somebody could be really fancy and really, like, blazing, and everybody could say, oh, check this guy out. I'd listen to it, and I'd say, it's, it's, it doesn't sound in tune to me. Yes. You know, on a very subtle level. So for me, that's important. Um, the guitar players that I like are the guitar players who tune it the way I think it should sound, you know. Yes, um, t-
0: tuning is a real battle, and, uh, you know. And, well, you it's know, personal,
1: too. Yeah. It is personal. And before tuners, it's, it was even more personal. Yes. You know, Um uh, we don't have time for this now, but if you just really quick, if you tune an A seventh chord to the harmonics of the overtone series on the A string, then the third will be flat, the seventh, the flat seventh will be even flatter, and it'll sound like the most incredible A seven chord you've ever heard. But mm-hmm. if you play an E chord or a D chord, it sounds like you you didn't tune your guitar. Right. Right? And so for me, a lot of times, this sort of natural sound of intonation is is more to my liking. So the old blues guys, they kind of tuned to the earth. They didn't tune to a piano or anything. And they only played sometimes just one chord or one key, and they just got it where they wanted it, and it was really, you know, organic sounding. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of made an impression on me too, so anyway.
0: Yeah, and, and, yeah, and the more of the neck that you're covering in, in, a, in a tune the harder it is, you know, when you're right. playing all over the neck, you have it, that much more to, to deal with. Yes, the compensated saddles are Now that I got these, helpful. it, really,
1: it yeah. really helps, you know. But, yeah. but being out of tune is the worst. I could play the most, you know, physically, you know, cool technical thing or a beautiful uh, you know passage and if it's not in tune it ruins it for me i can't overlook it you know i can't say oh right but and my idea of in tune is i think maybe a little more picky than, than you know some i don't know i don't know I'm, I'm sure there are producers out there who are really tuned into like okay play that again and this time play it in tune
0: <laughs> yes the, you know producers you know whether LA or here in Nashville, they're very, very picky about tuning, and yeah. that's the thing. One of their hear. jobs, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So, uh, so on on the Telecaster, obviously that that looks like a, a, a Fender Custom Shop Nocaster. Yeah, that's
1: what I like the Nocasters because, and this also is part of this neck wiggling thing, is they have a big neck. They have like it's like .96 at the first fret, and wow, and 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 like maybe almost one at the twelfth fret. Mm-hmm. Not huge, but big. And it's also, you notice it's got this splotchy bird's eye. Right. I, I noticed that the splotchy bird's eye is perfect because the quarter sawn is too rigid. Yes. And the flamey, the real stripity flame ones, they're too insecure. Yes. That's that wood's really soft because that's a flaw, you know. Um, and uh, I had a Cunetto no caster with a flamey neck. I couldn't keep it in tune. Yes. This this batch of them made around 2000, uh, the year 2000, 2001. They must have got a big tree of it or something. Mm-hmm. And I just love this particular. And they start out as closet classics, and then I play them, and they the nitro chips off and does weird stuff. But they all started. My I have three or four of them. They all started out as closet classics, with, with that weren't relict. Yeah. And you you and, uh, hit
0: you hit upon some really interesting things. Yes, because. You're right because the uh, the real firm, you know those those plain you know quarter sawn necks, they are they are more rigid and yep. they have more fundamental to them and they they don't bend as well. But yes, yeah,
1: they don't bloom as much and they have the mass, which I really like the mass. They're not bad by any means, but it's just a little different. This yeah. these guys bloom, but they're not as they're still stable enough right for for my purposes yes i
0: i experienced a a a telecaster neck that had too much flame to it and i was i was living in europe at the time and the neck was was twisting and going all over the place because there there was no central air and heat where i was staying and so it was a dobro one day and then a a month a month later it was it was you know the frets were against the neck and uh, they were against the strings and yes and and, yeah you hit upon a a really important (laughs) issue that can happen with yeah, they look o- overly I mean, flamed
1: the, yeah these flaming ones look great but you, you think about it it just makes the wood softer to have that much variation in the in the grains so yes that's my idea anyway
0: yeah so so there's uh early 2000s no casters uh you know you've got you know uh, some type of in, in uh compensated saddles
1: yeah i use glendales and and uh, dale over glendale is very nice to me and 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 um, recently sent me a, a a kind of a thank you gift for talking about his gear so yeah. much and um you and I use them I just buy one I just buy a set every time I get a new guitar I just buy a set of these things and put them on yeah. and I like them the best of all of the ones I'm not saying anything else isn't any good but I like these the best cuz for me they look sound and feel like what I want them to to do they're right. vintage, they're vintage enough and they're in tune like nobody's business and then he put the the screws that, that you raise and lower, he put them in the right spot so the string never bumps into them and they don't bump into your hand, you can get them recessed. So it's just, they got everything right on wow. these th- holes. Th- yeah.
0: those, those are nice touches because yes, there it can be an issue with the the string and the, uh, the height adjustment, uh, you know, being yeah, in really, the wrong place.
1: I'm really picky about the strings being in the right place. You know, because I'm playing, articulating individual notes on individual strings with individual fingers, What a right. concept, right? Um, if I was just strumming, it probably wouldn't make any difference. But if the a, the a string was always the culprit, it would be like too close to the E string. Right. Just by a little bit, and it would drive me nuts. Yeah.
0: So. And then those are Lawler
1: uh, pickups? Uh, I put Lawler uh, Charlie Christian, and this is a Lawler BS. Um, this one has got, um, this is my main guitar that that I played in bands and and on stages for years, it's got a Lawler here and a 52 um, Lawler 52 bridge, which is kind of more traditional sounding. Works pretty good. Um, it doesn't balance really great with this pickup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's fine in the in the in between position, but it's a little weak when you put it back here. So right. I usually want a clean boost when I use the back pickup anyway. So I just that's mm-hmm. how I fix that. When, you, when you're playing, if
0: you're playing with a band or playing solo guitar, do you uh, tend to use different instruments or have, have things set up yeah. differently?
1: Yeah, I think if I'm going to go play guitar like I have done many, many times, you know, I I've, have long-running restaurant gigs or concert series or whatever, I'll use this guitar tuned a half-step down. Okay. Um, and uh, I like it. I like this middle pickup for two reasons, one is on some kinds of tunes it's nice to have that the, you know mid scoop and a little chimey, the bells sound really nice with, with, it, with both of these pickups on. So I have this like a Stratocaster five-way switch. Yeah. And um, the other thing is if I get into a noisy room, when you're playing solo and you're in a noisy room it's kind of nowhere to hide.
0: No. So
1: uh, these two pickups when they're combined are hum canceling, so that gives me a little more safety there um and uh this guitar is wired so it's like a strat neck neck and middle middle bridge and middle bridge and then i have a pole pot here that means i can put the bridge pickup together with the neck pickup to have a a real telly sound or i can if it's in if it's in this position all three of them are on which is actually a very nice sound as well You know, yeah. for if I want to play a chord style thing in a band or something, it's nice to have a little more treble and a little bit more cutting and so I can put it right. on and it sounds really kind of neat that way. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that one.
0: Yeah, it's big with clarity to it. So yeah. So you tune that one a half. And what, what strings do you use?
1: Yeah. Um, it's a compromise. I want to be able, on this guitar, I might do a jazz gig with a band as well. So I have to be able to bring it up to pitch. E standard and not kill myself. Right. So I have it set up so that I can have it at E flat and it's probably a little too soft in E flat. And then I can bring it up to um, regular E tuning, standard E and it feels good. And like for instance when I did the thing at True Fire, I can't, I, can't, I have to be in standard tuning. Right. So for all of my teaching I try and do it in standard tuning so I want to be able to bring this guitar up to pitch. Um, now this one here, <laughs> This one here, I, I, for years I used 11 to 50, or 11 to 49, and then I got these D'Addario balanced Deodario balanced set, balanced tension set, which is 11 to 50. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. And then I just started noticing that, you know, I wasn't doing blues gigs where I had to bend strings a lot, so I just put 12s on this one, too. Two okay. and So that's so, what you normally
0: use is a 12 set of D'Addarios?
1: Yeah, they make this set that goes 12 to 54. Mm-hmm. With a twenty plain G,
0: yeah,
1: that, that works for me because I used to take the twelve to fifty-two set and then swap out it, buy a bunch of plain twenties and swap it out. Now I discovered they make this other set. It's got a slightly heavier low E and it. it's perfect. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what I use on a on a Telecaster that I have, um, which is tuned down a whole step or a minor third. Um, I use fourteen to sixty on it. Uh, and a twenty-two plane, a twenty-two plane is as big as I can find that gets that doesn't sound weird. Yeah, I think you can find a twenty-four plane, but it sounds weird to me. So
0: yeah, that's a that's a big plane string, and you would mainly use that for for solo playing. You wouldn't use that solo in a band.
1: And, and accompanying singers, either myself or a, another singer. Okay, because it's like it's like having a B three. You know, it's like right. those because I play this sort of. Uh, let's say I'm going to accompany a singer and. And she's and we're gonna play um, uh, whatever song it is. You know, I might say and that sort of style. And if you got a bigger string on there and it's tuned down to, you know, D, transposition is not too hard. It's just a whole step. And right. uh, you know, if you're learning, if you're playing a song that you already know and in, you know you learned it in D, you just have to play it in E if as if you know and it just gives you this big roar down there and i love it and it's a little harder to get it to work in a room because that bottom end is you know you got to deal with it but it feels so good so i use that one for solo guitar and for accompanying singers
0: yeah Um, again again, where where it's you and a singer
1: just the two of us yeah right
0: right now do you use yeah
1: do you use any effects yeah uh no just a chord and a Yeah, the the the, my favorite pedal is I always say my favorite pedal is the gas pedal on the car, which gets me to the gig. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: love it. Yeah, I just wondered, you know, because you were mentioning B three, I wonder if you'd, you know, put on some tremolo. I
1: have a a pedal board. I have a pedal board that I used to use in when I played, you know, the R and B type and blues band scene. Um, But I got to a point where I didn't want to do that anymore because I was losing my hearing playing loud music. Right which is something, you know, we all have to contend with. And some of us are in denial about it and some of us, you know, shouldn't be. But I just was coming home, you know, half deaf every time. The drummer I was playing with was killing me and being a lot, on a small stage and someone's smacking his snare real hard or whatever. Anyway, so I decided I didn't want to play with in loud music. Um, and so the pedal board kind of went, went into the, the closet then. So I play in a band called Pearl Django and I play arch-top guitar, an arch top guitar in that just straight into the amp, and it's kind of more acoustic, electric blend. Yeah. Um, and then I play solo guitar on one of these, um, playing a couple of different guitar duos, which are also, I could use either one, whatever strikes my fancy, but we play quietly, and um, I don't use pedals anymore. Yeah, what kind, of amp-,
0: of, yeah. What kind of amp do you use?
1: Uh, right now I'm playing through a Princeton Reverb, Yeah. which is stays here at home. Uh, Deluxe Reverb used to be my go-to for um, for all the band gigs. Uh, I would clip the bright cap. Yes, on the reverb channel. Necessary. Um, yeah, I, I love. I have a really nice Fuchs ODS fifty, yeah. and then uh, Andy made me a, a Princeton-sized ODS thirty that I really like. But I haven't really used them much because the, the people would very often say, "My God, it sounds great, Tim." But it's too loud, you know, and I heard mm-hmm. that you know, one too many times. And then, as you get older, you start wanting to schlep less stuff. So with Pearl Django, I use um a very light rig. I use a a um quilter two o two reverb, which is this little head stuffed inside of a one by twelve cabinet that looks like an old uh, gibson ES, I mean e h one eighty five Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's made by a guy down in San Pedro, California, uh, whose company is Vintage 47. And he makes a kind of octal preamp tube mm-hmm. remake of the EH-185. EH-85? I can't remember exactly. The bigger of the Charlie Christian amp. Right. Um, and I asked him, he made one for, for me, and I thought it was great. And I said, can you make me just the cabinet? And I, because I wanted to, you know, a, a 12 pound thing that I could carry, you know, to the gig. And cause we're often getting on ferries and it's so expensive to drive onto the ferry. You, you walk on and you got to schlep your gear up and down the ramp and all this stuff. And it just makes it nicer. If you just got like a guitar on your shoulder and a a nice little lamp with a few things stuffed in the back. Um, and so I use a quilter. I like the two Oh two. The one Oh one was good too. Um, but it was a little bright for my ear and a little bit, uh, um, It was like a black-faced amp without the bright cap clipped. (laughs) Okay. And so the 202 gave me a little bit more flexibility. I actually gave them some input that I think they might have incorporated into that version. Um, And so I have a a nice little grab-and-go, vintage-looking, cool-looking amp that everybody says they like it. Sound men all like it. And and it can be as loud and clean or as quiet and clean as I need it to be, and so it's very flexible.
0: That's that's fantastic. So I've got to hit upon just, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about Ted Green, but also like Lenny Bro and, and just some of these guys that, uh, you know, are, are are not with us anymore that tell us, you know, tell us about what, you know, taking a lesson with Ted Green was like.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, I was obsessed with Ted. I heard, the, I met him at the NAM show. Uh, I was working at a music store when I was in high school. And the, the owner of the music school said, Hey, Tim, do you want to come with me down to the Nam show? And I said, sure. It was really great. It was, this is the old Nam show, you know? Right. Just, and I walk in the door with this guy and I'm kind of like, like this. And first man walks up to me, shakes my hand and says, hi, my name is Mel Bay. Hey, welcome to the Nam show. And it's like, "Whoa, Mel Bay, really? <laughs> uh, you know? And, and at that show, I saw Herb Ellis and I saw, um, all these people who are just out there, you know, hawking their wares, you know. And Ted was playing in the, in a the Dale Zednick booth because uh, he had, th- that was the publisher of his books. his books. right? And the record had come out. Um, this was probably 1975, maybe 75. Um, and I was 16. Yeah, that's about right. 75. So the record had been out a little while. The books had been out a little while. Um, and I'm wandering around the Nam Show and I see Ted Green playing. Of course, I was too shy to introduce myself. I just stood there, you know, agog. And then later on, um, maybe after I got out of high school, I was hanging out on the local Sacramento jazz guitar scene. and a guy whose name was Doug Polly, who I think still lives and plays in Sacramento, said, "Hey, I hear you like Ted Green." and And you know I was by that time I was playing some solo guitar. I have his telephone number. Do you want it? And I said yes, please. So he gave me Ted's phone number, and one day I just called him up, and he answered, which was actually kind of not common. He would often not answer the phone. Um, I don't think he had an answering machine. I think he either answered it or he didn't answer it. You know. Um, so while and I called him and I introduced myself, and and he was very friendly. He he, he excused himself for a minute. He said he was taping a Jimmy Cagney movie because he liked the music score, and he had to make sure that he flipped the tape over. I mean, it was like, that's a, a yes. thing. Um, and so I told him what I was trying to do. I told him I wanted to incorporate more walking bass lines into my playing, and that I had a few arrangements and solo guitar, things that I was doing, and I really loved his playing, and blah, 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 I gave him the whole spiel. So he, he said, okay, well, I, I can mail you some things. So he wrote me this beautiful handwritten, you know, cursive page of information. And it took a while, though. He apologized at the top of the page. (laughs) Sorry it took me so long. I think I sent him $5, um, which is ridiculous, you know. Uh, And he sent me three or four pages of his little grid pages, you know, these little uh, dot, dot pages, you know. Yes, his his are crammed. I mean, he wrote and and in the margins are all this tiny writing. And I studied that stuff. And then um, maybe a year later, uh, my girlfriend at the time was in Davis, California, going to school. She would go down to her folks house in Southern California on around Thanksgiving. So I set up a lesson with Ted the day after Thanksgiving. He was in Woodland Hills living at his parents house on Winnetka Street. And so I drove down from Agoura Hills Mm -hmm. to the hills and had an afternoon lesson, still have the tape of it. Um, And that began, you know, uh, our relationship. And then every time I would come down, I'd try and book a lesson. And then I finally, in 1983, moved down to L.A. um, And it was just as hard to get to him, though, because I didn't have a car. And he lived in the valley and I lived in Hollywood. But Um, I went up to see him as often as I could. And what it's like to take a lesson with Ted Green. Um, First of all, he was kind and generous and really warm. Um, He was probably the first adult man that I ever met who exhibited a kind of gentleness that was part of his being. You know what I mean? Um, uh, And... um, he was insightful. He was philosophical. He was, uh, tended to wander in his thinking and he would be, it would be tangential. So you taped it and you, you know, and for me, I didn't care. I was just there hanging, you know, and, um, he showed me a lot of stuff, but he also, I got the impression that he was feeling me out at first to see what he need, what I needed. And, um, he reassured me a lot. He gave me a lot of confidence that I was you know on the right track Showed me some cool things and one of the first things he showed me is I played him uh, Body and soul with a little arrangement that I had made And he said oh, that's really nice to him, but try this on the first note So he showed me how to go Underneath the melody. And that got me hooked on inner lines. Just that one thing. It, it got me hooked on this idea that there's a bass line, there's a melody, and then there's these beautiful things swimming in the middle. Right. And, uh, and that's been a lifelong quest, you know. Um, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, ha- I, can't, I can't really know what it was like to take a lesson from Ted um, in any other way than filtered through my sort of um, you know, crush that I had on, on him, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I was enamored with him and I, so, so I wanted him to like me and I wanted him to be my friend and I, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Cause he was so wonderful and played music so beautifully. So a lot, I, 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 I don't think I very successfully kind of cleared that out. I, I, I might've just been more fanboying a little bit too <laughs> much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think we all do that. I was young and precocious and and kind of obnoxious, probably. And he was very very sensitive. So you know, it wasn't always you know, okay, Tim, I'm going to show you all the best stuff, you know. Right. Um, but I, I persevered and I studied with him from you know on the uh, through the mail and then in person from '83 uh, until about '86, and then I went on the road and didn't see him after that. But I got a bunch of his material. Uh, some other friends of mine were in the sort of the Ted green underground and, and they, there was a stack of about that many pages that people had collected and shared. Now you can get it all on tedgreen.com, but I got, a, I got that stack. And I mean, literally I would, he would give me something to work on. I would go away and I'd come back six months later, you know, having worked on it pretty much every day, you know? And, and so there's a lot, he would give you a lot of work and his pages were still aren't very easy to you know, make your way through. Right. So fire hose, you know, fire hose situation, kind of like, you know, trying to drink out of a fire hose. It was a little bit like that. Um, but it was also cool. You know, he, we, we, the lesson would be over and it would be the last one of the day. And he found out I liked blues and BB King and he would, you know, he, then we, it wouldn't be a lesson anymore to just be like, you know, talking about his favorite shit. And, you know, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what about Lenny bro? Well, Lenny was, you know, really quite different. Um, the first time I met Lenny, uh, I can't what happened? Uh, I, I was at GIT at the time and it got circulated around that Lenny was in town staying at a guy named David Rose's house. And I think David Rose was a, a, a Hollywood music producer or a string writer or something. I can't remember exactly. But I found out that I could drive up to this guy's house, and ten, and Lenny would be there. So I booked a lesson with Lenny, and uh, it was very interesting. I remember we, when I shook hands with him, he shook hands with his thumb. Uh, like, he didn't shake hands like this with his thumb up. He had his thumb down. So uh, that was like a w- funny impression, because he didn't want anybody to hurt hurt his hand. Right. when he shook his hand, so he developed this way of shaking hands with it, which was sort of more like, like this than like that, you know. And that was my first, like, Oh okay that's interesting. He was a little tiny guy. Um, and we had a wonderful hour or maybe two after at an afternoon in this guy's house and but Lenny was funny because he he liked hanging out. For him it was just hanging out and I'd ask him a question, he'd talk about it and then I I'd, I'd play something for him and he would say no, wait, show me what what are you doing there? You know and he would ask me what I was doing and I would well, you know I'm doing this. Oh yeah, yeah. This, you know, so it was really, you know, kind of give and take. Um, and then, uh, didn't see him for a while after that. Um, and then went to, to Dante's to hear him and got his, cause he had moved to LA by then. He was living in the Wilshire district, got his, got his telephone number, um, and, uh, went over to his apartment in the Wilshire district, um, on a number of occasions by that time, I had a seven-string guitar, and so we were. I was curious about trying to get the high A thing to work. Right. Um, and uh, I would see him occasionally at GIT. I remember one fun time I went. I used to hang out with Joe DiOrio when I was at GIT. He was my favorite. He still is. I love him. And I would just go into Joe's office, just like when he was there for the week that he was there. He was there every other week. I would just go in his office. I wouldn't even go to class. I would just go to his office. And he liked me, and we'd go to lunch most days. And one day Lenny showed up and Joe and Lenny and me went out to lunch. And that was so funny because Joe was about that tall and Lenny was about that tall. And I'm this sort of gangly, stringy haired kid, you know, and, uh, you know, about a foot taller than both of them. And so that was funny. I kind of felt like I was floating. I went, we went to this little diner and just had a nice lunch and hung out. And I got to be a fly on the wall listening to those guys talking about life and music and stuff. Um I was, and this is not my favorite story, but I was at Lenny's apartment on a Thursday um, in the summer of 84. Hmm. Uh, It was the Thursday before he was killed. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, and we had a beautiful afternoon. I met his his wife and his little daughter and and he showed me the pool. He was very proud of the pool because he was laying out by the pool and getting sun and he was he was clean at the time and functioning pretty well, um, but that was the last time I saw him. I saw him. And you know, next the next Monday, I heard that that he was he was gone. I was teaching at GIT at that time, um, and uh, went to the, my summer session class uh, and heard that that uh, yeah. Lenny was gone. Uh, so anyway, I I I I love Lenny. I, um, and I have this I have this recording of Lenny and Ted meeting for the first time and uh, it's really fascinating to see the difference of their, you know, the way they thought about music and two wow. most, most wonderful players ever and they, they were just so different and, you know, but uh, complimentary. For me it was great to see both sides of that because Lenny was a real poet you know and Ted was more of a scientist right but but Ted had his Ted was one of the most beautiful and sensitive and emotionally connected guitar players ever so he wasn't like a brainiac when he played it was he could convey emotions like nobody you know but but Lenny lived in this world of this sort of ephemeral world of you know beauty and and uh, you know it was just very interesting
0: yeah, from from watching footage of Ted that there is, you know, on YouTube, it's it's very evident that he was he had this very analytical side where he was analyzing tone, he was analyzing uh, anything that he was listening to, and chord voicings, and on and on and on. He was he was really taking things apart and putting them back together in yeah. ways that worked for him. Uh, yeah,
1: one of the things that happened on that tape is uh, Lenny was playing something. They were kind of sharing a guitar. Ted didn't bring a guitar, which is sad he eventually somebody gave him a telecaster that the guy's house he was at and he played a little bit but um, they were playing a nylon string guitar and sharing it back and forth and um, Lenny was playing Stella by Starlight or something and he talked about a chord that he got from Bill Evans you know that was the way Lenny learned he learned one sound at a time he was really listened to records and experimented and he would come up with a sound that he liked. And then he was a genius about how he could use it, um, and it was very interesting. though, because Ted, uh, Lenny played this one chord, and he said, "Hey, hey, hey Ted, have you ever heard this chord?" You know that kind of Lenny kind of stuttered and, and talked a little interestingly, and uh, Ted says, "Oh yeah, that's a beautiful chord." And then Ted picks up the guitar and plays the chord scale of that voicing, <laughs> right? And, and he had done he had thought about it he had come across that voicing before and he had developed uh, the ability to play it at every degree of the key right which is what we think of as a chord scale right and it wasn't any better than what Lenny did it was just it showed that Ted would think in systems and Lenny would think in colors Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) wow and and also at that time and I think forever after that Ted considered Lenny to be the best guitar player in the world. You know, he just was really in awe of him and respected him greatly, you know. And then he took a lot of the things that he learned from hanging around with him and listening and took it to a very high level. So on YouTube, there's a couple of videos of Ted that are called Ted Explaining Lenny or Ted's Lenny Lesson and all the harmonics and all this stuff. And Ted had it down, you know. He really had it down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess if anyone could... uh... Decipher and 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 absorb that you know Ted could.
1: Yeah, and when he was in his when he was at the peak of his powers, Ted was physically and technically just unstoppable. It was incredible what he could do, and musical at the same time. And that was what really attracted me to to him. Is it? It sounded so beautiful. I mean, you know, and and warm and luscious, but you knew it was really really hard.
0: You know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Tim, this this has <laughs> been fantastic to uh, you know. Seems like it s- has to
1: be part one. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: this has been yeah, it's been wonderful to you know, kind of you know, well, to meet you and nice. uh, you know, yes, and you know, and to get you know some of your story. And I'm really glad we were able to talk about your uh, your True Fire series, which I really highly recommend. That uh, guys that are wanting to expand their playing and wanting to get either into you know the jazz blues side you know with with that course or you know the uh, the chord melody you know those are, are really great you know methods yeah too. and
1: there's there's many more coming to there's a bunch of them in the hopper and i also want to mention i have this thing called a channel on true fire which is a ten dollar a month subscription and i just post stuff up there all the time and there's about a hundred videos up and all of them have um you know all there's Basically, it's called solo guitar Sensei, and it's the idea is is it's focused on solo guitar. I'm broadening it a little bit because I want to make sure it's it's uh, more more and more people can get something out of it. I had to bring the level down a little bit, but I'm learning as I go. Um, and I, it's just basically talking about the stuff I love, you know, just because i'm I'm a nerd with this stuff. and right. and to build it to create a community of like-minded folks is really, Uh, something that I'm interested in doing so uh, go you can go to true fire and find that and and, uh, check it out and come see it you can there's a lot of stuff you can just take a look at it you don't have to you know sign up or anything you can just look at it
0: wonderful well, Tim, thank you so much for uh, for for joining us and uh, for appearing on the lounge. It's a true honor, and uh, well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have to do it again. We are gonna have to, look, to do a, a part two at some Nashville point.
1: Too. I want to come to Nashville for part two. <laughs> Please, that that would that would be more fun for for us. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was supposed to be. The, I was supposed to go to Nashville in, you know, July, the, the second week of July, and I was going to visit John Knowles, who was a pal of mine, and yes. I was going to go to the Chet Atkins appreciation thing. And John had set up some things that a couple of guys, and in addition to you, there were a couple of guys that I really wanted to meet that live in Nashville. And and of course, then I couldn't go. But now it's it's a it's a big uh, a big flag on my, uh, you know, whenever we can go, we're going. Wow. And I want to tell you, Zach, I'm a fan. I I like what you're doing i i appreciate how knowledgeable and careful and caring you are about the music that you love and about the guitar community and you really do a great thing man so i want to i want to say thank you for doing what you do uh and and all the facets that you do it's it's really a wonderful thing and i think um i can tell everybody really appreciates it you know
0: thank thank you very much tim that's that's greatly appreciated especially coming from you so thank you
1: okay man all well right. take care and stay safe and uh uh to all your viewers out there uh we'll see you around i'm, I'm coming i'm coming i'm either i'm gonna be in nashville someday <laughs> very good well thank you Tim. okay take care sir.